0: Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This week, we are diving right back into our Getting into Law School series. Over the next few episodes, we're going to be exploring a few of the big milestones of the law school application process. This week, we're talking about the infamous and dreaded LSAT. What is it?
1: What are our experiences? And how much your
0: scores really matter?
1: So to start off, of course, we need to tell you what the LSAT is. Now most of you listeners probably know because you're either in law school or you're planning to go to law school. You've watched
0: Legally Blonde.
1: Exactly, and this is a very important step. But just in case some of our listeners are not familiar with it, the LSAT is the law school admissions test and you need it take it through LSAC, which is the Law School Admissions Council. And this test is required for all North American schools. So in Canada, of course, which we're focusing on, but also in the United States. So if anyone wanted to move, let's say, and go to one of those schools, that would be possible as well. And so there are three main sections in the LSAC. So that make up the exam. The first one is reading comprehension. And we wanna go over some tips and tricks to help you through each of these sections. Um, I'm gonna let Meg talk about reading comprehension because of her background in English literature. I think she's the best uh, to give you good tips. I did it, it went okay, but I feel like in terms of learning how to get better, she would be able to provide better advice.
0: So, well, thank you, Sarah. Reading comprehension was definitely my um, easiest uh, section, was definitely the easiest section for me for the LSAT. For the for our Southern Ontario, or I guess for our Ontario listeners, if you didn't take any humanities courses in your undergrad, the best description I can give of the reading comprehension is if um, you've done the EQAO, if you've done the standardized literary test in high school. What it is is that it is a couple of paragraphs of I would say pretty dense text there are many questions to do with the themes to do with the main arguments to do with the content of the text it's all multiple choice of course and you have to pick the most accurate answer I would say that the number one tip that I can give all exam- uh, all people taking the exam is that you should mark up your paper what i mean by that is when you're doing the test if you can circle words that stimulate you if you can underline words and underline sentences that confuse you if you can write exclamation marks or question marks or use different colored pens anything like that dissect and really tear the sample text apart the reason for that is because many people think that when you do any kind of reading comprehension you need to read the text in detail first and then go to the questions you you will not have enough time during the exam to to do anything like that that will not be the best use of your time instead what i recommend is you go to the questions first you mark those questions up right circle the words and the questions that really stimulate you that that perplex you that interest you Then go back to the sample text and look for uh, look for the answers to those questions. That is the best kind of tip that I can give you in literary studies. And, you know, in my experience teaching um, university writing, university reading, we would call this close reading. You are looking for things that matter. You are asking questions along the way. That is the entire reading experience. If you don't have experience in that, if you decided to do more of a STEM uh, background for high school and undergrad, what I really recommend is reading news articles, reading, um, going through even your social media, reading books if you have the time and you're interested in. Instead of just passively reading sentence by sentence by sentence, start at the beginnings and ends of paragraphs. Choose to spend the most time there. Really take the time to digest paragraphs and paragraphs, the openings of texts, the endings of texts, and ask yourself many questions along the way. We'll talk about how, of course, one of the best ways to study for the LSAT is to do practice tests, to do past papers. But if you decide to do all of the past papers and all of the practice tests, you know, and you're still feeling really nervous about the reading comprehension section, go outside, go outside of the past papers. Because luckily for you, there's text everywhere. So I I really think that it is a section that you can really apply in your day to day life and you can really practice in your day to day life.
1: Definitely. And the tips that Meg has given are also going to be helpful in law school because we all know that we're going to have a lot of reading to do. And you won't be able to actually read sentence by sentence by sentence if you want to get all of your reading done. So similarly, we, there's no a specific limit of time like there is on the LSAT, granted. But, you know, our life, our scheduling, that's going to be what limits our time. And so doing this can also be helpful um, later on. The next
0: big section that makes up the LSAT is logical reasoning. I'm going to pass this to Sarah because, as I said in episode two, I did not take any philosophy courses in undergrad and... Logical reasoning was one of the sections of this exam that I really not only struggled, I struggled with firsthand, but also
1: gave me quite a bit of anxiety. Definitely. So as Meg mentioned, I did take logic in my undergraduate degree, um, specifically through my university. It was in philosophy. And I feel like that was very, very helpful for the logical reasoning section. And so for those of you that can't take, um, you know, a logic course, What I would do is basically study what you would have learned during that course. So studying the main logic structures. So what that helps you do is that you can break down that small paragraph that they're asking you to read and then answer the question in a way that's a lot more straightforward. So you won't get held up on any kind of fluff because sometimes there may be fluff, there may be sentences that are not actually relevant to the question they're asking you. And so if you know these main logic structures like the conditional reasoning for example, you'll be able to break down each sentence by uh, this is A, this is item A, this is item B, this is item C. And you'll be able to draw your little basically um, structure and it's going to point you to the answer a lot uh, more quickly. And I would say, you
0: know, you make a really good point by saying there, there
1: may be fluff.
0: Uh, I would say there will definitely be fluff. Logical reasoning, uh, those questions and those setups will purposefully include content and write it in a syntactical way that is intentionally trying to throw you off and, and distract you from the Base, bare bones content of what is needed to answer the question so i i like that you added that because really <laughs> really by by again i think by marking up your paper by close reading by identifying what is absolutely essential to answering the question versus the kind of content that is there to throw you off that is one way that you can overcome this often quite uh formidable section of the lsat
1: definitely I will note however that if any of you are going to take the online exam we are limited in the number of sheets of paper that you can actually keep um, and you need to show you know front and back to the proctor at the beginning to make sure there's nothing uh, written on it. So just keep that in mind because I know for example when I was practicing I would just use as many sheets of paper as I needed so because I was trying to do it quickly I wasn't paying attention to writing in small font or anything like that I was kind of just scribbling across the page. So I think maybe keeping that in mind for your practice. So these structures are very, very important. But knowing how to, um, you know, draw them up in in a way that doesn't take up a lot of space. I know it's an additional thing to think of. But unfortunately, it is a limitation um, that we have.
0: What is this proof for? For ants? (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, Sarah brings up a wonderful point of medium. She wrote the test uh, when it was a digital platform, I wrote the test. I was actually one of the last um, groups to write the paper test. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, about, about that later. The next big section for the LSAT is analytical reasoning, or as I call it, the horse games, the horse race games. Again, I do not have the ability. This was by by and large my worst section, so I will graciously pass the baton to Sarah to explain the wonderful tips needed to do well on this section?
1: Well, I would say for the logic games, honestly, my best tip would be to practice and also to watch your time. Now, it's going to depend on the person. But for me, for example, when I did my first LSAT to just basically determine where I stood without any practice, without knowing really what the LSAT was about, that's what tripped me up the most was the time limit. So the games that I was able to complete, I did well but I was missing I think (laughs) I think two or three games that I didn't get to Um, so I think definitely from the get-go really make sure that when you're doing these games time yourself it does add an additional layer of stress but you're gonna thank me when you're actually writing the exam because I feel like it's very very easy to lose track of time during those games and unfortunately you can't answer them extremely quickly So it's going to be difficult to, um, you know, kind of scramble at the end. It's not something that you'll really be able to do.
0: So many people think that writing these kinds of high-pressure standardized exams, so many many people think that you start with question 1, you end with question 20. You start with section A, you end with section D. You read the sample text from front to beginning. You have to... You have to do it in such a way where you, or at least I, I agree with your approach, you have to do it in such a way where you're trying to minimize your anxiety and you're trying to prolong the amount of time you have to do these questions. So if you start off with your, uh, the most difficult kind of game, you start off with one of your weakest points. I know for a fact that if I did that, I would spend the majority of the time panicking about that. There's no point in doing that on test day you might as well go, "Hmm, I don't know how to do that at the moment. Instead of freaking out, I'm going to go to the next question, which I'm a lot more confident about. And the next question and the question after that. Oh, here's another question that I'm a little stressed about. Let's move on. And by approaching your test taking in that kind of method, what you're doing is being very cognizant of time, which I believe is one of the most important factors um, for the LSAT.
1: Definitely. And just like for the logical reasoning, the analytical reasoning, the games, there's going to be specific scenarios and structures that are going to repeat themselves. So if you're able to do a lot of practice and you're able to try out these different types of questions, you'll be able to identify which specific structures you you know you have a bit more difficulty with, potentially is you know, your weakness. And by doing so, you'll also be able to identify them on test day. So as soon as you encounter them, you can skip them and leave them for the end. And that's going to be very, very important. Um, like Meg said, even just for your anxiety levels, yes. just to give you a bit more confidence. Because oftentimes, unfortunately, that's what's going to come into play. It's really this testing anxiety. It's not necessarily that you don't know it or that you're not able to do it. It's really just all of these other factors that, that come into play and that, you know, mess with that academic success.
0: 100%. And... Perhaps this is something we should have said right at the head of the episode, but please do not think that the LSAT or any kind of standardized test is a reflection whatsoever of your intelligence, of who you are, of, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, even your ability to get into law school, right? Please do not think of this as some kind of um, mirror of of your identity. I, I think that is one of the easiest ways to, um, blow this exam out of the water and to be so intimidated by it that you end up um, shooting yourself in the foot. You end up being your greatest um, enemy, really. So I think think that is something to be aware of as well.
1: For sure, for sure. And, you know, if you the first time you take the exam, you don't do as well as you would have wanted. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that, um, you know eliminate your your passion and your drive to go into law school. You can do it again and you can change your score. A hundred percent and the final section is a um, is
0: a writing sample. Um, I actually did the LSAT a couple years ago um,
1: has, has the LSAT um, writing sample format changed. What was I don't think so. So the writing sample at least when I did it is a uh, separate. Yes. So you need to complete it to be able to receive your score. Um, you have 30 minutes and basically they give you a scenario and you need to choose a side. So it's a bit uh, an argument and you need to uh, write that out. Is Was it the same for you? Yes, it was. Yes.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to I just wanted to confirm. Um, w- again, I mean, I can I can take this uh, portion yeah. in terms of giving some tips in terms of any kind of on the spot test based writing. Right. You only have 30 minutes. <laughs> you want to write. You want to write the best that you can. One, I would think really, really hard about quality versus quantity. The last thing you want to do, especially because the LSAT that you're taking uh, is very likely going to be on a digital platform. The last thing you want to do is being a little too trigger happy and just start typing away, typing away, typing away and ending up with just a bunch of you know run-on sentences or fluff, things where when an examiner is looking over it, they're going to go, this is not particularly coherent <laughs> or rhetorical at all. Something else too is um, dep- There, there is no right and wrong answer in terms of the side you have to take, um, in terms of um, your approach and your perspective. What the examiner wants to see is assertive writing in a rhetorical way backed by some kind of reasoning. If you can do that, then it doesn't really quite matter what the what the content is. I always tell my you know, when I taught university writing at Columbia, I always stress to my students that form is as important, if not often more important than content. And especially for on the spot, timed, test-taking writing, form is very, very important over content. And one way that you can use that to your advantage is if you know that you are not a naturally um, very prolific writer, if you know that writing is something that makes you clam up and you get writer's block easily, especially when it's timed, you know, oh, I'm not going to be able to come up with anything super verbose, super eloquent. You can have a couple of wonderful frameworks in your back pocket. So for instance, a thesis might look like this kind of sentence. A um, introduction to a paragraph might look like this kind of sentence. The ending to a paragraph and transition to a new point of the argument might look like this. And by having these little structures in your mind, ready to go, even though it seems a little inorganic, even though it seems a little forced, the examiner is not going to know that. And most importantly, it will give you quite a bit of ease when you're actually typing it out.
1: Yeah, I think that's really, really great advice, Meg. Honestly, (laughs) I wish I would have known about that advice before writing my own sample. One thing I can say uh, from someone who learned French first and who wrote a lot in French, and I would say the style of writing is a lot different. Um, In English, you want to aim for something more succinct. In French, we like to kind of elaborate. Um, Honestly, a a bit too much, at least if you compare with English, elaborating a lot is seen as better. So one thing I always reminded myself, and maybe this will help some of you if English is not your first language, uh, was of Ocam's Razor. So keep it simple, stupid basically. Um, So just, you know, to write in a way that you feel like anyone would be able to comprehend. And that's helped me a lot also in terms of making my my sentences a bit smaller and a bit more straight to the point, rather than going in a more kind of fancy way of writing, which is very stylistically French.
0: And Sarah, you you laughed a little bit, right, towards the end when we were talking about being um, simple and to the point. I, I think one of the reasons you laugh is because sometimes, again, when you're writing, you feel, ooh, this is a little inorganic. This is a little stilted. This is a little forced. No one actually talks like this. Well, the good news is that, you know, to some extent, no one really writes like they do on the LSAT. No one does a logic game like they do on the LSAT. You know, these standardized tests are Purposefully a little inorganic, so feel free to lean into that and use whatever techniques help for you. And and again, by no means does your writing sample reflect who you are as a writer, who you are as a thinker. Uh, it it might be even a good idea to come into the LSAT in general, going, I'm not Shakespeare, I, I'm not I'm not the, uh, you know a skilled and experienced lawyer, even if I do not absolutely rock this LSAT. I can still get into law school. I, I think coming in with a really positive um, perspective and, and a humbling perspective, I think is a great way to approach this exam. But I mean, let's talk a little bit about the about the resources.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So honestly, studying for the LSAT can be very expensive. The LSAT itself is not that expensive, a bit more for Canadian students. When I say not that expensive is if I compare to other standardized tests, because it, it still is a good chunk of money, close to $300 Canadian. But so for myself, for example, I didn't really have the money to spend on courses or on private tutoring or anything like that. So the resource that I used, and honestly, I felt like it was amazing, an amazing resource, and I would definitely recommend it to you all is Khan Academy. So it's free. There's a lot of practice questions. There's a lot of practice tests. You can actually uh, create your own schedule within Uh, Can Academy to help you meet deadlines and and make sure that you've gone through everything by the time you actually have your test, or so by test day. Uh, So, I definitely, if any one of you is worried about kind of the financial side of studying for the LSAT, I think Can Academy is absolutely phenomenal.
0: It's also a really beautiful interface too. It's a beautiful platform. It's a very accessible platform and a very reassuring platform. I don't know if that matters to a lot of you listeners, but when I, I also used Khan Academy and it was, it it was nice to see many bright pastel colors. Let's put it that way. Another way that you can, um, you know, self-study is if you do know people who have taken the LSAT, you can definitely ask them if they have past papers, if, they um, have used any other softwares, uh, other resources. We'll have a whole po- uh, episode dedicated to networking and and cold calling. But you know, one way to do that is to not be afraid to to go. I'm thinking about writing the LSAT. I've signed up. Do you have any resources that I can that I can use? One really good form of etiquette, I will say, is then to not be stingy when other people ask you f- for those resources too. What I really like to do is I still have a collection of all many, many resources, LSAT pa- you know, past papers and, and everything like that in my computer so that if someone asks me, I can immediately pass it on. Really, I, I really think law students should be helping law students and anyone who is interested in entering this kind of profession.
1: Definitely, and when it comes to, for example, the well-known companies that create books to practice for the LSAT, let's say Kaplan, different things like that, um, what's great is that the LSAT doesn't change much from, you know, one year to the next. So don't worry about getting an older version of the book, it's still going to be extremely useful. Um, So that's why also, you know, reaching out to these people can help financially, and you don't have to worry about, you know, having the most recent or the the modern um, version. That is such a great
0: segue to, I believe, our top tip, which is to practice, 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 and not just practice content, right? Because, you are not going to get the exact content of the past papers of the softwares and programs that you've been using however you are going to get an extremely similar form so one thing that you're doing when you're actually practicing and taking those tests taking those past exams doing the mock exams instead of always doing a mock exam where you're just timing yourself timing yourself rushing through it rushing through it doing one after the other after the other actually take a couple of those mock exams and understand, oh, this is how many questions go in this section. This is how many of these types of logic games, this is how many times they appear. This is the kind of typical length of a sample text for the reading comprehension section. They ask about identifying these arguments this many times and they write it in this kind of syntax. Instead of trying to memorize anything or um, just taking an exam from front to back, by doing it really slowly a couple of times and paying attention to the structure, the system of the exam, at least that gave me quite a bit of relief on test
1: day. Definitely. And it's, it's a bit like, like we mentioned, just knowing those style, the style of questions that you're going to encounter is going to be very, very useful for you, even just to go through it in a more successful way by identifying already which areas you know you're going to be weaker in.
0: Yes. Another tip that we have is, um, and, and this one requires a little bit of context. Sarah, I believe this was the case for you as well. Um, but when I wrote the LSAT, I was told that there would be a section that wouldn't be scored. So so there would be like a repeat section. So for instance, you know, an LSAT, you are guaranteed reading comprehension, analytical reasoning and logic, um, logic reasoning. But there will be a repeat of one of those sections with different questions, of course. Do not, do not try to guess which one of those sections is not scored. Do not try to say, this is the fake one. I don't have to worry as much that kind of mentality on test day. Any any kind of psychological game you play with
1: yourself like that is going to hinder you. Oh, definitely. For example, don't don't do like I did. Um, I immediately noticed that I had reading comprehension twice. So I knew one of them was not going to be scored. So luckily during the exam, that's not really when that came into play and affected me. I just, you know, finished the sections and tried as hard as I could on both. But it's afterwards. I knew that one of those sections I hadn't done as well in because I was interrupted by the proctor and thrown off my game. And I freaked out and I was like, oh no, I I definitely messed up that section. Then I was trying to determine if that was the one that wasn't scored or if the, it was the one that was scored. And then I was worrying that, you know, oh my God, if that was the one that was scored, my LSAT is going to be terrible and different things like that. So it's just another way (laughs) of increasing your anxiety levels when you don't have to. Um, Ultimately, you're never going to know which one wasn't scored. So there's no point really um, worrying about it. Yes.
0: And I think our last big tip is the moment you're done writing that exam and you turn it in, don't stress about it afterwards. When you get your result, then think about the next steps, but there's no point in beating yourself up after the fact. Absolutely no point. Um, We can also, we'll also talk about right now, you know, when to schedule the exam, when you're most alert. What's interesting too, and I think we can get right into our experiences because we actually had very, very, very different experiences when writing the LSAT. And what I mean by that is one of us was full-time working, one of us was in their undergrad, Um, one of us wrote it um, on a digital platform one of us wrote it on paper so we can I think share a little bit about the experiences that we've had in that capacity so for instance I did the LSAT in the summer between my third and fourth year of undergrad so I did that in 2019 I did it on paper and I also did it at the same time as the GRE which is another standardized test that is needed for a lot of American grad schools this was the worst idea that i have ever encountered that i've ever taken part in it it was the worst summer of my life please do not do not study for two high pressured post undergrad standardized tests please do not do that um not not great for one's mental health i did i wrote the lsat um, when it was still paper so what that means is i went to A hotel went into one of their large uh, large reception rooms and there were tons of desks right rows and rows of desks and we were given the packages while proctors were walking around so we filled out um, scantrons right we we filled out the the bubbles and we turned that all in I actually didn't find that to be a terrible experience mostly because I knew that I was one of the last groups to be writing the paper test and I practiced mainly through the paper test So one one tip I will say in that respect is, you know, if you know it's going to be digital, try doing it in a digital kind of way. If you know it's going to be paper, I don't think that's going to happen again. But nevertheless, you should try to practice it using paper.
1: Definitely. And so for me, uh, my process was quite different. Uh, It was very last minute. Honestly, my decision to take the LSAT and to apply to law school, I made it in the end of the summer of 2022. And I signed up for my LSAT in October 2022. So right before the application deadline for Canadian schools or at least for those in Toronto, which was in November because I only applied to law schools in Toronto. So one thing I did that I recommend, honestly, people do if if you're very anxious about the application process is that I paid extra to see my score to then decide if I wanted it to be released or not. That gave me a lot of peace of mind because I knew that if I thought my score was really bad, I could prevent basically the admissions committee from seeing it. Now, is that a reasonable stress? No, not necessarily, because um, the admissions committee, let's say you apply one year with a lower LSAT score than applying the next year, they're not going to remember, they're not going to care. Um, but for me, being someone that's quite anxious, it definitely helped me. Another thing that I did is that I made sure to book my exam at the time that I'm most alert. So I'm very much a morning person and so I knew that I will would be a lot more concentrated and probably perform a lot better if I made sure that my exam was in the morning as well. Uh, so that's what I did. So try to book it based on, you know, whatever kind of schedule you usually have. If you're a night owl, maybe try to book it more later in the afternoon, anything like that. Um, that could be very helpful and it's, one of the rare cases where you have that control because in school you don't necessarily have the opportunity of deciding you know the exact time frame where you're going to be uh, completing a test
0: and i was going to say actually even for the paper lsat you didn't have that kind of control that is one of the, i think one of the large reasons why they moved from a paper um in-person form compared to the digital form right i i did not have those kinds of choices it was come to this location on this date at this time or don't write the LSAT but that being said you know when you take the LSAT uh, you know going forward right in 2023 it will very likely be digital if not certain so definitely definitely take into mind what Sarah has said uh, finally we're going to be talking a little bit about about LSAT scores and I how much LSATs um, really matter
1: yes so it's important for everyone to remember, and I know you've probably heard this before, but how you perform on the LSAT isn't going to determine your standing in law school. So you could have, for example, an LSAT score that's lower than you expected or lower than you wanted, but that doesn't mean that you won't be able to be the top of your class in, in law school, right? Don't let that discourage you and potentially feed into that imposter syndrome, or that feeling that, you know, you're a fraud, you shouldn't be there, you won't be able to do it and to perform very well. Please don't let that get to you. Because honestly, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. And it's just a very, you know, strict kind of way of taking an an exam. And so it's likely that there's a lot of other factors that influenced your performance that do not take into account how smart you are, how well, you're going to be able to do in law school or even in your career or anything like that.
0: You might have also heard discussions to phase out the LSAT. As more news emerges, we would love to dedicate a separate episode on that topic. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase podcast. Next week, we're going to be finishing our getting into law school series. We're going to be talking a little bit about the actual application process. What can you expect? What do the portals look like? Um, certainly for the Southern Ontario uh, system. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, and check out our social media. Check out our Instagram. At Beyond the Briefcase Podcast. To keep in touch and up to date with the kinds of episodes that we're creating, the kinds of guests that we're bringing on. We want to also thank Adam, our wonderful tech producer, for handling all of the ins and outs of the actual recording process. We are always so impressed by that. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye.